This is Amanda Edwards, and I'd like to welcome you to the Edwards Empowerment Talks. This podcast provides a platform to empower individuals and the community by showcasing stories of resilient people who have refused to let life's challenges prevent them from achieving their dreams. The Edwards Empowerment Talks will also highlight the work being done in the community that will help to positively shift the trajectory of this nation through stories of adversity, perseverance, drive, struggle, and success, the podcast will empower others to believe in their dreams and pursue those dreams despite whatever challenges may come their way. It is also a vehicle to equip the community with the tools necessary to be the change they want to see. I welcome you to tune in. You don't want to miss this. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Amanda Edwards, and I want to welcome you again to the Edwards Empowerment Talks. This time, we have a very special guest who is joining us today, who happens to be one of my favorite people. Her name is Lauren Anderson. Now, you may have heard her name, just not just because of the fact that she is an excellent dancer, but she's also been a trailblazer, having been one of the first African-Americans to serve as a principal ballerina in the United States. She happens to have a long repertoire of work that she's done and inspiration for others to follow. And I would like to, without further ado, welcome Lauren to the show. So Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. I really am excited to have you on as one of my guests. It's an honor. Uh, You know I love you and we have done some great work together with kids and education and the community. So I'm honored to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, you have done such great work and you also are always willing to open the door for others to follow in your footsteps, literally. And and I really appreciate that. I can think about sometimes me texting you and saying, is it okay if I let uh, give your telephone number to this person who is really inspired by your work and, and, and wants to follow in your footsteps of dance? And so I thank you also, not just in terms of being here on this show, but also for being such a community presence teaching, giving back, giving of yourself. It has not stopped. uh, And I really appreciate you being a resource for so many people uh, in order to make sure that others can follow in your footsteps. Thank you. I I have to say this, though. I have to say this. Um, I look up to you because I, I think it was like for about a year, every school or every place I went, there you were. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> we were on the same trail. We were on the same trail. Yes. For almost a whole year, right? But, yes. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. And and it's my it's been my pleasure. And it's yeah. been a pleasure also to watch you do the same. And so I want to learn a little bit more about little Lauren. And, and I don't mean it as in you are big Lauren now, but in terms of young Lauren, younger Lauren in her childhood. And back then, you didn't have any principal ballerinas to look up to that looked like you. So tell me, how did you start early on in this career and this pathway of dance? And of course, all of the barriers that you end up ended up having to break? Well, you don't know. I'll say this. I'm a native Houstonian. Yes. Okay, so I'm from Houston. I started dancing in the Houston Ballet Academy in 1972. Okay. Which, um, at that time, there weren't any black 
principal band. Actually, when I first got in, there were no black dancers in the company at all. Wow. Um, and then, but I didn't know that. Then. Okay. I wasn't thinking that then. All I was thinking was, I'm doing this really weird thing with my feet where we have to stand like this. So right? where did it come from? Why did you even, where did you even get inspired to become interested in, in, in ballet in the first place? Okay, well, I wasn't. Okay. My father was the assistant principal of high school for the performing arts. My mother I, uh, taught classical ballet lessons and she taught music in schools. So my, the, my parents were knew about the arts, they were into the arts, supported the arts here in Houston. Mother took me to see performances and she says that I saw a performance and was dancing down the steps at Jones Hall and dad says that he <laughs> he was hiring <laughs> dance teachers from Houston Ballet for high school for the performing arts. and said, I have this overactive daughter. I figure I should put her in ballet. Where should she go? They said Houston Ballet. So he enrolled me. At Houston, my parents enrolled me at Houston Ballet. About right? how old were you at that point? Seven. Okay. Now, I also picked up the violin. Okay. I was good at the violin. I was not good at ballet. I didn't even like ballet when I first started it. Really? Yeah, I didn't even like because it was it was hard. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really, you know, it was okay. It was okay. But then I found out after a couple of months, I found out I had a superpower. Okay. I could jump higher than anybody in the class. Okay. And I love to turn. Okay. So I waited for the end of class. I did whatever they wanted me to do till we get to the end of class so we could jump and turn and go across the floor and move really big to the music. That's what got me hooked. Wow. Then I was about nine or t- in 1976, Ben Stevenson was, came to the Houston Ballet to be a director. So I was there before Ben Stevenson. And I remember him teaching our class and he made it fun, hard and everything possible. He made it, he taught this thing. I couldn't do it. He made it possible. Then I could do it. So so that was kind of another thing. So it became competitive. And um, then I have to say the thing that changed everything for me was when my mom took me to see Dance Theater of Harlem. Okay. And, and how old were you at that point? Maybe 10 or 11. Okay. And uh, I, I couldn't, I saw a black dancer go across the stage and I went, <gasps> and then I saw another one went, <gasps> You know, and I, 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 there was a whole stage full of people of color. So, and I didn't realize I hadn't seen a black dancer until, until I saw then. It. Yeah, it's like you don't realize what you're missing until you see what you were missing. You see what, you, yeah. And then there was a woman that did the Firebird, and I was like, I want to be her. I want to be that woman. I want to be that. I want to be her. And that was, and here we, here we are. You know, I have and to you say, you saw someone Mitchell, modeling a professional dance career who was also someone of was color. the ballerina she was the one yeah right and it and it was bigger than life and it was magical and it was um to watch a person physically become music mm. is what it, what it did that's, for me that's beautiful yeah so then that's what I wanted to do and so Ooh. did you you come back you come back to school with a renewed focus Oh. Did you change as a dancer as a result of I the think inspiration? My my, my um, idea of that I could do it, mm-hmm. that idea that I could do this happened 
that moment happened. So then I kept dancing and um, soon I was, I guess I was about 12 or 13. I was going to quit dancing. Why? Because, well, I didn't feel like I had the body. Well, okay, let me, let me go there. I'm yeah, going to go there. please do. I'm going to go there. So my, my parents go in to find out if, which parents do. Mm-hmm. I'm a parent. I'm, a, I'm here to embarrass my child. <laughs> they go into the office and they say, they, they want to know if you know, their investment is going to pay off. Is she going to be a dancer? Do you think? And Ben Stevenson was in the office and they had some meeting and he said, well, I know. I don't think so. I think her niche will be Broadway. She has a good singing voice, but she should keep taking ballet. She has a good singing voice and a good personality. She should mm-hmm. keep taking ballet because ballet is the base of all dance. She'll have an edge if she keeps taking ballet and auditions, but I don't think that she has the physique for a ballet dancer. I was devastated. I left the office. They talked. Dad comes out. So you were there when he said that? Yes. Okay. So then um, my dad, they talk. I leave. They talk a little more. My dad comes out. I'm like, oh, I don't want to dance anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Tears streaming down your face. Slinging snot. It's horrible. (laughs) And my dad's like, oh, no, you're going to take these classes. Because I've already paid for them, number one. You can at least number go one. till the end of the semester. We'll revisit this for next year. Okay. So that's fine. Did you did you sense your parents were disappointed, or did they just kind of take it in stride? They took it in stride. I mean, you know, okay. if your child is not fit for right. that's fine. I mean, if she wants to do it for a hobby, great. But before we spend a whole bunch of money on these lessons, you know. And then I was still playing the violin. Right. So, which you liked. Which I loved. And I was first chair for four or five years. Okay. I was good. I was an only child. I had a violin in the home. When I got bored, I practiced. You practice something, you're going to get good. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So then, and I had a love for it. So then I, about when I turned 13, the year, I'll never forget, the year I turned 13, we're going to do the spring show. Every kid in the Houston Ballet Academy is in the spring show. Okay. Spring show that year is Alice in Wonderland. Okay. So we're all excited about the cast list. So we run to the board to see, you know, you have your last name up there. It said Anderson Alice. So I figured there's some other chick coming in. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know right. what we know about Alice. Alice yeah. is the whitest of the white girls. Yeah. So it can't be me. Okay. So then we go down. I don't see Anderson anywhere else. Now, granted, early in the year, they just told me I... Yeah. Probably wasn't going to be a dancer. So now I am double devastated. I go into the office. Why am I the only kid not in the show? And Ben looks at me and goes, darling, you're Alice. And I went, er. <laughs> I said, I said to him, I said, Ben, I can't be Alice. Alice is white. And he said to me, darling, he's British, right? Yeah. Darling, the, the only color in art is on a canvas. You're a dancer and a dancer dances. And I went, <gasps> wow. I'm going to be Alice and Alice in Wonderland. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't and this believe was it. the big show. This was the spring show. So yeah. for the, in 1978 or whatever year it was, there was this African-American girl from Third Ward, Houston, who played Alice and Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. in Houston Ballet Academy spring show. So wow. that to me was, was another turning point. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, 
So I will train here and I will ship my little self off to New York and dance at Damasia Harlem. So that was my... So you saw a pathway for yourself. I saw a pathway. It wasn't here. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm Because this is where I live. I got to take ballet to get Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. That was going to be my plan. Well, Ben Stevenson, same man, had a different idea. Okay. Um, I worked really, really hard. And uh, when I graduated from Lamar Senior High, yes, I'm a product of HISD. I graduated from Lamar Senior High, auditioned for the Houston Ballet, and got a contract to get into the company. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about that moment before you got the contract. So you had a plan. You were going to leave after you finished your training, and then you were going to go to New York. And then something told you, how did you get to the point where you said, I'm going to audition for Houston Ballet here in Houston? The okay, so when auditions are happening, mm-hmm. they 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 say that we should take auditions to have experience in auditioning. Okay. Now, by the time I went from that young thirteen-year-old to the seventeen-year-old, I really wanted to be in Houston Ballet. Okay. Also, Adrian Vincent James, who was the first black guy in Houston Ballet, I'd seen him. Sandra Oregon, who was the first black woman. Mm-hmm. hired by Houston Ballet. I'd seen her. Not thinking that they aren't going to hire a black person. I wasn't even thinking that. Yeah. I was just thinking, this is not where I should be because he said no, and I need to go yeah. to New York. He said um, you, you weren't, you didn't fit the I prototype. Yeah. Right. But um, I worked really hard, just like everybody else has to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I and what only... did that entail in terms of like hours of your time? Because you were balancing that with school. Right. So back then we didn't have these computers where you can go to school online. Yeah. Um, no remote learning, no distance. No learning. remote learning. You had to either graduate early, double up on your hours and graduate early. Okay. So that you could get into a professional division, which means you're going to take ballet all day mm-hmm. or um, work really hard <laughs> double time. So I would go to school, your usual hours. I'd have, then I'd have like four hours of dance four or five hours of dance, and then I have to do my homework in between all that by the time I was in high school. Wow. So I graduate the next year. I graduated 17. The next year after I graduate, I become uh, um, uh, where I was in the professional division. So I was taken all day. Mm -hmm. I worked out of class, in class, at home, balancing in the kitchen on point shoes, all kind of stuff, right? And, um, And then I auditioned. And if I didn't get in, I was hoping to go to New York, okay. right? My dad was like, you're going to get a job or you're going to college. <laughs> so like, they they, they were like, no, this is not what you're getting ready to just focus no, on. I'm this. not going to just traipse you around. Basically, I'm not going to fly you all over the place <laughs> to see if you can. You don't either get in now <laughs> or you going to college. Which I totally understand. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. My son is a jazz musician, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not about to be Kyle Turner like your daddy <laughs> and, and play. Uh-uh. You don't go to college. Not that, because Kyle went to college, too. I mean, yeah. it's not like Kyle didn't go to college, but no, the music business is hard. You're going to, you know, you're thinking yeah. about your kid. You have an engineer mind. You are so good at math and science. You need to be an engineer. I can't do that. 
No. Boy, let me buy you some more sticks and some more brushes and some more drums. <laughs> <laughs> and he... I, I mean, I got to think about that, right? Right. I got to, I have to let him be who he forge is. his path and be right. him. Because if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be talking right now. Right. I'd be, I don't know what I, I'd be some, I don't know what I'd be doing, but it, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. So, you have to, blessed. as a parent, be able to support your children in being who they are or who and what they have the potential to be. What they have the potential to be. So that's what my parents did. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for the Houston Ballet. I got in. And that's when the real work began. Okay. Because then I decided, okay, this is all good being this chick that's in the school of ballet, but yeah. uh-uh, I want to be that chick that I saw when I was 10 years old at Jones Hall in the middle of the stage in the front. Yes. So um, I did Pilates. I worked differently. I became a pescatarian. I lengthened up. Because I was never that chick that just ate salads. Mm -hmm. That was never me. Did you um, have body image issues? when? So after you learned that your body did not comport with what they typically are looking for, did that cause you to develop body issues, self-esteem concerns, you know, issues surrounding those, you know, your image? Of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course. And um, it's interesting because the way we're trained, especially back then, mm-hmm. the whole thing breeds body image issues. Yeah. Um, and so that's why the, the academy and, and me when I teach, et cetera, we work really hard at mental health and how how do I not how do you not shame this child into being to having their body become this tool that you want it to become? So it's training and Pilates. So they they started other kinds of training. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we did Grand Modern, which got me my turnout and my my strength and my core. Mm-hmm. I did Pilates. So I had a pro. They had a program in place that worked very well because all I did was follow the program. Okay. Right. And then I changed some lifestyle things. I mean, I wasn't eating Doritos all day and, <laughs> and barbecue. I would have raised barbecue. <laughs> but, so you had to put that down. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I wasn't having um, oxtails now. Now I'm having oxtails, but back then I wasn't. Right. Yeah. So there was just some things I had to do. And actually for, as an athlete, you find what works with your body because mm-hmm. I'm muscular. So it wasn't that I was too this or too much. Well, I'm just really muscular. So what do you need to do to lengthen those muscles? We mm-hmm. still want the strength. We still want the um, the quick twitch. We still want the endurance, but we want the line. Mm-hmm. So I just need to look like that. Okay, I can do it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I can do it without wrecking myself. Right. And I did. And so, um, but I think anybody does that. Mm-hmm. Simone Biles is not all of a sudden going to gain, you know, 30 pounds of fat before she goes to the Olympics. She's going to just yeah. the training does the trick. Mm-hmm. You just right? follow, the follow the regimen. Follow the regimen. So that's what I did. I gave in. Mm-hmm. I follow. I, I gave into the process. And mm-hmm. once I did that, um, there's a freedom in that regimen. Right. Mm-hmm. Explain right? that. There's a free. There's a. Um, so when you put up boundaries, there's a freedom and having boundaries, mm-hmm. right? You think, oh, I'm a free spirit. I can just go with the <laughs> you're all over the place. Yeah. There's no freedom in it. You need, you're grabbing for control because you're all over the place. 
Yeah. When there's boundaries, there's freedom. You can go as far as you can to from this side to that side. When there's, and I've learned that in relationships. You know, I'm 55, so I've learned that in relationships and and in life. Uh, in life, right? Relationships yeah. like with my partner, or relationships at work, relationship with you, relationship with kids, mm-hmm. and the more boundaries I had, the better it got for me. Mm-hmm because I only had to work in this much space. So I just had to get really, really good in that much space. And it's so much easier to -hmm. get good in this much space than it is to get good in this much space. Right. It it helps you to focus. focus. So, um, and I'm really competitive and I'm um, (laughs) obsessive component. (laughs) So yeah, so it all all fits kind of within your personality type too. And so, so you make it, Parents are happy. What are what are parent? What are your parents saying at this point? Because okay, again, so they were in the same meeting them. you were. I don't know what you call them making it. Oh, you mean I got a job? Yeah, you got the job. Oh, he says okay. either you yeah. so you go and you dance professionally here, or you go and to I school. Get paid. And, yeah. and I get paid. Right. Yes. So it's awesome. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, but the thing is, we're like football players. We have the life of the length of life professionally as like a football player. We're professional athletes. Mm -hmm. So your body gets beat up pretty quickly. Yeah. The average age of retirement, average age of retirement for ballerinas, 26. And see, listen, some some of my 26 year olds out there, they're just thinking about career, you know, job, starting a job. And this is the end of your professional ballerina career. It's possible. I mean, I danced here professionally until I was 41. Right. Which is not but, the traditional route. No, but, or yeah, especially, right, exactly. And I guess performed a bunch of, I mean, there's, it's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, so then what do you do after that? Well, the good news is Ben Stevenson, who is a dear friend, mm-hmm. by the way, <laughs> uh, way back when I was a soloist, where I just became a soloist in my, so I got the company in 1983. Mm-hmm. I became a soloist in 1987. Mm-hmm. And in 1990, I became the first African-American principal dancer at the Houston Ballet. Was becoming the, uh, a soloist like unprecedented at that time? Yes. Or- no. Okay. So it was me and Sandra Organ, and we became soloists at the same time. Okay. And I got a story. So the moment <laughs> when you become a soloist back then, when you became a soloist, you get a bio. You don't just get a picture with a group of people. You get a picture by yourself yeah. and you get a buy it. So you gotcha. get to say like who you are and where you came from and all that. Yeah. So Sandra says to me, oh my goodness, what am I going to put in my bio? Do you think I should put that I was the first African-American dance, uh, female dancer in the company? I said, yes, because it was supposed to be me. So you better put <laughs> it in there. <laughs> I was like, girl, you better put that in there. And then and then there's that whole thing um, in the dance world of Sandra looks you look black, Sandra doesn't, right? Okay. So there was that. Okay. And so her battle was trying to let people know she was black. Mm-hmm. And my battle was being black and trying to fit in the stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I said, and that will so- help solve the problem that you've been talking about, right? Because you can see first African-American ballerina in the country. I mean, it's great. It's perfect. Yeah. And then, so my goal was to get in the company 
Mm-hmm. My dream, my dream was to be a soloist. Okay. So now I'm a soloist. It's 1987. I'm a soloist. I'm excited. It's, it's, yay. Brown <laughs> tights. I, I got to wear brown tights for the first time. Yeah. Um, which only Dancing of Harlem was doing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it something cool. that, you know, and, and when you say it, it doesn't you know it doesn't have the same appeal or like the same magnitude of its, its significance because it really was a significant thing well, let me help you before with the that everything let was, me help you yeah pink, pink. everybody everything. wore pink tights yeah. everything so i got to wear brown tights not just in contemporary work but in classical work mm-hmm. so it was kind of a big deal yeah it's um, groundbreaking but ben gave me a skill for when i retired he said, why don't you, one day he just comes to us, why don't you teach in the school? No, he didn't say, why don't you? He went, he said what he normally is. You're going to teach in the school this summer. I, went, <laughs> I can't teach in the school. He goes, how many ballet classes have you taken? I said, I don't know, millions. He goes, great. You're going to teach in the school this summer. You'll be fine. I was like, okay. Because, you know, I just did whatever. Yeah. And I did. And I'm so happy that I did. Because I can say I've been teaching since 1987. Wow. I've been giving classes. I don't mm-hmm. think I got really good. It takes about 10 years to get good at anything, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it probably by the late 90s, I got good at teaching. And now okay. I'm a master teacher because I stopped dancing. Yeah. So I stopped dancing in class. I stopped performing for people in class. I stopped doing it for me selfishly. It's about the student. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, and that's one thing I love almost as much as performing. It's teaching. Actually, at this point, I love it more than performing because I couldn't imagine performing because it hurts. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to ask you about uh, how does it really feel? Because, I mean, I've seen images Ow. of people's feet and how beat up they 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 become because of their years of, yeah. of being a dancer. Yeah. And so it's my torture a little like bit. Feet. My feet don't look like feet. Girl, I wear some cute <laughs> shoes. <laughs> You were like, they look like feet once I put them in shoes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, your feet are you have to contort them and put all that, you know, put weight well, on them, jump on pounds them. Pounds of pressure. Yeah. Pounds of pressure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, so I got to teach, and, um, and, and so it's something I love to do. So you were doing, you were teaching and then aspiring for more in your professional dance career oh, at the absolutely. same time. And so you become the soloist, you get your paragraph, you get your, your headshot, <laughs> right? And then what did and you then, do? You moved the goal, you, you moved the goal post again. No, hold on. What had happened was <laughs> I had the opportunity to do some roles, right? I did the Sugar Plum Fairy, which is what I wanted to do since I was seven years old, okay. my second year in the company. So that's fine. And I did that. And, and I did that for 20 years. I've done that forever. Okay. But I got to do some other roles. I got to do Sleeping Beauty mm-hmm. um, and a couple of one-shot deals on a Sunday, you know. And then, he's, and then he says, um, I'm going to take you to the International Ballet Competition. I'm like, he goes, don't worry about winning a medal or anything. You're going for the experience. Okay. I'm like, okay. And you're going to go as a soloist. And I went, er? Because if you go as a partner, when you partner with someone, you do four pieces. As a soloist, you do one, two, three, four, six pieces, and it's really hard, right? Okay. 
And generally you don't win anything if you're soulless. Doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. Then all of a sudden we go on tour, we come back, and then he comes into one of my rehearsals for the competition. And he says, oh, by the way, we're going to make you a principal dancer next year. By the way? <laughs> BTW. BTW. Hold on, that like a text. BTW. Like, um, by the way type of message. <laughs> exactly. And then he walks out. Now I'm like. So he has fun <laughs> with you. <laughs> And he knows me well well yeah. by this point because he's known me since I was eleven. Yes. And by this point it's nineteen ninety, so I'm twenty five. So um, I go to the competition. I, I, I'm just I'm just dancing. I'm not competing. I am just dancing and having mm -hmm. a ball because I'm about to be a principal dancer in the Houston Ballet. Yeah. Not the first. So so you didn't have to. I'm just gonna be her. So tell me a little bit about that process and how it typically works versus how it worked in your case. Do you audition to become no. a principal no. dancer or they just decide who becomes principal based on your body of work? Okay, I say no. I say no, 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 no. They just decide. You're constantly auditioning right. for the next thing, but you're not in a formal audition. Mm -hmm. They decide because of your work or your work and your work ethic and your this and your that and whatever who gets promoted people get promoted you know but and i say this and um i hope no one thinks that i take it lightly mm -hmm. that i was but i was just happy to be a principal dancer i wasn't thinking i'm the first black principal i wasn't mm -hmm. thinking i'm the first anything all i'm thinking is <gasps> i can't believe i'm a principal dancer mm -hmm. right? and it's not until i retired I even really, it even, I even understood the magnitude. Yeah. And so how did you, how did that experience change your view of your career trajectory? And how did you view yourself? Like, I guess when you're in these spaces and places, you do your best and you always try to do your best, but was it more pressure on you? How did you, what did that, what was that experience like? Did you have setbacks as you know, as a principal, I mean, tell me a little bit more about what was happening in your mind and in, in, in some well, of the experiences you were having. It's hard. Um, um, it was amazing. I'm going to say that I had an amazing career, but it was hard just with behind the scenes with mm -hmm. other dancers. Um, with your self-talk. Am I good enough? Do I even deserve this? How did I get here? But the thing about it is after I rehearse and prepare, I'm prepared. So I go on stage. I don't think that, but it's all that time in between the yeah. performances. That next big role that I have to do, it took about a good four years of being a principal dancer before I even believed I was worthy. So did you have, sometimes people talk about something called imposter syndrome and they don't, when they get elevated to the next level, they always have this nagging sense that they're not worthy for that elevation, even though obviously they wouldn't be there if they weren't. People from the outside can see it, but that person or individual who's in that experience has a lot of self-doubt that creeps in. Um, did you have that in that in-between performances periods? Uh, I'd say definitely the first four years or so. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about it is once I cross, okay, so like when you go on stage as a black leg, 
-hmm. and you cross a black leg and then you're on stage. You come back on this side of the black leg and you're backstage. Mm -hmm. Backstage, before the show, I'm like, all that crazy stuff. But once I crossed the leg. You were together. Girl. Confident. Representing. I'm representing. (laughs) Because you love the performance, right? I love the performance. And I don't, and and as a principal dancer, you feel, well, I I can't say you, I felt like the, um, I had to represent the company. I felt like I had, you You know. the leader. Yeah. So I'm responsible for how this is going to go. Not just, I'm not just representing me. And as I got older and did more talks and taught more classes, and I'm representing a whole lot of other people. Mm -hmm. I'm representing Houston. I'm representing my community. I'm representing Black people. I'm representing my my family. I mean, I'm representing the Houston Ballet, but I'm representing a lot more. It's it's so much bigger than me. Yeah. And you feel the enormity of that experience with that new role that you stepped into. Even though it was a lot of work before that, it became something bigger than yourself different work it became different work so then i real i i realized how to work that way mm-hmm. right put that enormity into all my rehearsals mm-hmm. into talking to the press into w- walking out the door walking out the door you're on mm-hmm. don't let anybody see you sweat don't let anybody see, it's always you know you're on so then then it just and that's tiring, but I get it. And, and that's where I put myself probably the last 10 years of my career. So tell me, okay, so with that responsibility that you felt, tell me about the pride you felt. What were, I mean, were your parents, did, were they, you know, present in that experience with you? How did that go in terms of how you related that experience? Because they were with you from the beginning, right? They're the ones that said, I have my over, overactive child that needs to be put into dance class. Well, and my parents are in Houston. They're still in Houston. And yes, they're still alive and, and everything's great. So they came to every show. Oh. I mean, you know, um, they're always supportive. They're still supportive. They still, I, and I think, you know, every kid wants to make their parents proud. Mm-hmm. As a kid, you don't hear how proud we are of you or they are of you. And I try to remember to tell my son I'm proud of him. Not just, honey, pick up your clothes, honey. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't wash your honey, you didn't see that hang on the floor. You just stepped up. I mean, you know, just, I, you just remember to tell him how proud you are. So, and um, as an adult, I found out how proud my parents are. Yeah. So it was like now they could relax and just smile and say, job well done, or that's my daughter. Or, you yeah. know, or I mean, just... but see, the thing is with being a daughter, you're always a daughter. So they're still telling you <laughs> how to you know. do stuff. <laughs> Even stuff they don't okay. know what they're talking about. Look, they're my mom and daddy. Yes. And, and they say, well, you, I, that I told you so, and I told you this when you were 25, and now you're 55, hopefully it's not too late, that type of stuff. I'm getting that now. But I'm proud of you, baby, but I'm proud of you, right? So. Yes. And so let me ask this question. What was, what was the attention that, because you were one of the first in the country, what was the attention that had been generated? And were you feeling little girls 
look at you, especially little girls of color, and say, I really can do that despite the fact that what I typically see around me isn't isn't people of color in, you know, principal roles with the ballet? Well, I can definitely, I can tell you this, definitely in Houston, mm -hmm. for sure. And what's funny is I didn't know. Okay, first of all, we didn't have this back yeah. then. You had to have somebody come to the ballet, report on it, go to work the next day, write it out. And that took yeah. a couple of weeks, then put it in the, in the thing, which took another couple of weeks, and then another month to print it. And then two months yeah. later, after I did whatever I did, somebody else saw it. So it's a little different now. Yeah. No cell phones, no instant replays. It's, it was, because they weren't, yeah. you, it's not like it's going to be on NBC prime time you know if right. you didn't go to the performance or you're not someone who was following or there wasn't a magazine or a newspaper covering it right yeah. and I was in a I mean you know it was in Houston I was um people knew right mm -hmm. but then my parents are from here and they went to Texas Southern and they don't know everybody and one's an AKA and one's a Kappa and one does this and one does that so there's service and community and all that mm -hmm. I just didn't know that I knew every black person in the dance community. I just didn't know they knew me. Right. right? Until after I retired and we ended up teaching together or mm -hmm. getting together or Dance Theater had, Dance Theater Harlem had this black ballerina um, event four years ago or three years ago. And we all got together. We knew each other. We'd seen, we've seen each other. We haven't necessarily talked to each other, but we knew who each other was. Mm -hmm. And that, was amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know who, I, I'm always surprised when somebody knows who I am. Unless, like, I'm saying when so I you leave see, Houston. So for, yeah, you're seeing my facial expression. I don't I know, know why. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> when I leave Houston, because I'm either Mr. Right. Anderson's daughter, Miss, Miss uh, Doris's daughter, Loris's daughter. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm and so much of I'm your leaving, experience is concentrating here. on your craft and your performance here. Or right. in your in your city, as opposed right. to, you, it's not like you're a basketball player who, you know, plays games in every city, city every right. week, and you can judge by the response in one city versus the next. Right, exactly. But it is. Yeah. And I didn't know this, so every time we toured, you know, or when I teach another mm -hmm. place, or when I, I, I just didn't know. I mean, the dance world is pretty small. The dance world is pretty small. So. I mean, that's really neat. And then now with Black History Month projects and programs and whatever, it's interesting when I hear somebody that's in Ohio teaching dance saying, oh, well, we just did a whole chapter on you for, for uh, Black History Month in my dance class. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're teaching about me? What? Right? Right. <laughs> Tell so, me how that happened. So, yeah. So, you know, dance has given me a lot. It's given me a lot. It's given me a career. Um, it's given me a career after career. I get to teach. Yeah. I love to teach. There's nothing like seeing the light bulb come on. So did you, so let's talk about that. Cause I feel like, you know, we often kind of hear about what was life like after XYZ sport. And you highlighted that most professional ballerinas, their careers end in their twenties. I mean, you were an exception to that. Um, but Generally speaking, it's a short career and it's a lot of work and a lot of wear and tear. And so people yeah. often feel lost. You 
found your new path while you were pursuing your dream and found a new dream as a result of that. So that tell you, you kind of transition naturally into the teaching role. So you, did you not have some insecurity about what's life like after being the professional dancer? Or you already knew what life was going to be like because you were doing it at the same time. I had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, I had a lot of anxiety about it. Okay. I thought, great, I can teach, but what happens if something happens to me and I can't teach? I've got a son. Mm-hmm. So I went to college. I mm-hmm. enrolled in HCC. Mm-hmm. I did distance learning. Mm-hmm. I learned on this computer while going to work all day and then pick up the son, taking him to school. And then and I went into um, medical office because I thought, okay, I can have Anderson billing and coding and I can fit it if I have to. Mm-hmm. So I have a backup plan. But that didn't happen. What happened is uh, learning about social and emotional learning and dance mm-hmm. and how it's needed in public schools. I got the opportunity to do what I was doing on my days off. So on my days off, I'd go and teach in public schools and speak in public schools and make do appearances and go all over the place. And I've been doing that since 1983. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, she's a black dancer. Let's get into the government, you know. Black History Month, career days, I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. So Stanton Welch, who's now the d- director of the Houston Ballet, said, you have to sing this bridge to the community that I don't see from anybody else. What if, when you retire, you come and help us with our educational community engagement department? We need someone to do this full time that is can bridge us to the community. We need to strengthen this. What do you think about this? And I went, well, that sounds right up my alley. Well, I got to the <laughs> office. I got to the office, and I didn't. I opened the computer and went, "Oh, what do I do with this thing?" Yeah. So I took some business courses, and the business courses ended up going. That's how I kept stayed in college, and then um, I learned curriculum and what the teachers and and how to get buy-in with the teachers and the principals of taking the time to come in and even do this in their schools. Mm-hmm. And then I started talking to city council members. And then how do I get them to infiltrate your, your what is your neediest neighborhood? Yeah. What is your, where is it 75% or more economically disadvantaged? Mm-hmm. Now, yes, did I go to Kincaid and St. John's? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do I go to HCPA? Absolutely. Marland, all that. But I'm also in Acres Homes and and then, so now I'm kind of like, eh, I'm going, I'm going more in that route because that's where it's needed, right? Right. The arts is, um, there's so many things you can get from it. It's not just a plie and a tongue. Right. right. There's so much more to it, right? So then how do we get that with math, science, and English? And our, uh, our uh, English second language people in our ELA subjects and our, so I get to do that now. And I love it. And so, what <laughs> what are the new challenges uh, that you're facing as as you're embarking upon bridging this educational opportunity and, and with some of our under resourced areas? What are some of the biggest challenges you face besides for convincing people that this is important? Right, right? Because people are saying, "Oh, well, you got to pass this test, that test. We don't have time for new or different or additional. We just got to get the basics down." How do you get in there and convince them, number one? And number two, what are some of the challenges you face? Okay, so um, 
one thing that's helped me get in there is that I'm Lauren Anderson with the Houston. There you go. That helps me get in. Doesn't hurt. But um, now that we've, I've been doing this for 15, 14 years, Mm -hmm. they've seen the difference in their students, especially when we've been on campus more than once. Also, you know, there's, um, I guess, uh, I've got a lot of support of our uh, city council members, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they and they put it in all of their newsletters mm-hmm. and stuff, and and uh, I get to go into meetings when things are being developed. I'm on the board of Arts Connect. I'm on the board of Houston Arts Alliance. Mm-hmm. I've gotten on the boards of these things that fit Texas Culture Trust, mm-hmm. um, and then I also have figured out what it is. So it's just like when I had to figure out, you need to take this body and make this body look like that. Yeah. So these, the TEA, Texas Educators Association, I think is what it is, mm-hmm. has all these teaks that they want that these kids have to cover, okay? So they got to cover these teaks. How can I make these teaks and dance squish together? So mm-hmm. that's where we are with that. Arts yeah. integration. So that's how I'm getting in with the principal. That's, I mean, you know, so, but not only that, what are my challenges? The challenges is this. I don't have enough hours of the day to do all the things I want to do. That's my biggest challenge. Um, uh, Raising money, of course, but I'm I'm good at begging for money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's always so funny, uh, too, because people are always so scared about raising, fundraising. And it's like, well, you're not asking for money for your, you know, for your shopping spree. You're asking it for, yeah, it's not your, to pay your mortgage. You're asking for the benefit of these children and and these students and this mission that's bigger than you. Oh, I'm, and and it's easy. (laughs) No, I'm going to give you all the secret. I'm going to give you the secret. Okay, give us the tips. Transparency. It's so funny. I say, hi, I know I never call you. Unless I'm asking for money. So this is what it is. This <laughs> so is the break why. the ice. This is, this is the what. Right. This is the what. This is the why. And this is how much. Right. Great. Mm-hmm. We're done with that. So how are you doing? And then we start talking about vacations or yeah. kids. Or, you get to or, the business. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I really don't, I don't, um, I don't like to bother people. But if I know that this is, it's an interest of yours, if we've talked, if I say, look, I'm going to call you about some fundraising I'm doing for some kids. Yeah. I mean, well, I even go like, well, you know, but uh, that's not me. And if you know me, I don't even do that well. Just get to the point. I'm on stage. I can go and give you all that. But just, yeah. (laughs) It's not even me. So let me ask this question. So how are you handling uh, teaching? And we talked a little bit about this, so I, I, I'm cheating by asking you this question <laughs> with a little bit of an understanding of what you're going to say. But um, how do, are you handling teaching dance in the, a time where we're having to do everything virtually? How do you do that? You want to know how I do it? Yes. Hold on. <laughs> we didn't even stay. We didn't even Hold set on. this up. Yeah. Hold on. That's so the there's a ballet. stage. There's my ballet bar and my dance studio. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I go over here and I teach ballet. That's what I, I do. I love it. I love it. And and is it more challenging for you in terms of providing critique? 
like, you know, like usually like in a traditional setting, you could just go and say, lift your leg up like this and show them, you know, by pointing or touching or whatever you do. In this case, you're kind of trying to look to see the right angles and see if they got it right, right? Y'all are going to laugh. Y'all are going to laugh. This is what my poor kids see when I teach them Zoom. So I got a bigger screen. I haven't like, you know, you have to make this home office into a home studio. So I have a bigger screen where I put them up on a bigger screen. But I'll tell you, it's making me a better teacher. I have to describe it. Okay, stand on your left leg now. How do I, I have to find a way to get them to. As opposed to just just watch me. Yeah. And and the Zoom, I call this Zoom arms. I need you to expand bigger than your room. And I mean, I get to use different imagery. Yeah. Right. The, the problem is the delay, you know, with the music and all that. But um, you can tell when you're when the kids are chasing the music and not quite on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty is we're getting back. You know, we're all masking up. We're marking the studios with big, big six foot by six foot squares, um, making a teacher island. So the Houston Ballet is working with Methodists and mm-hmm. protocols of getting back into the studio. So that everybody feels safe and can be safe. Right. And we have to have smaller classes. We have to do hybrid. We have to, it's just like the school. Mm-hmm. So it's a big learning thing. I'm really technically savvy. I can do Skype, Zoom, Teams, <laughs> WebEx, whatever, however you want it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so, I mean, you know, and, and I, I, it's it's a challenge, but I'm telling you, Kids still want to move. Kids still need to move. Yeah, and they need to. They need to move. Yeah. Yeah. And let me ask this question. You know, you have such a wealth of experiences that, you know, for people who are out there and are trying to navigate waters that maybe someone else hasn't blazed in front or a trail that someone else hasn't blazed in, in front of them, how do you, what advice do you have for people to pursue their dreams, even if there isn't someone before them or someone who looks like them before them? How do you keep people, you know, what, what tricks and advice and tips do you have to keep people motivated? And then also the next question would be, how do you encourage people to keep dreaming? So even in your case, you had, you know, not only did you become that soloist again, you you became the principal uh, of the of the company, but yet you said you have a whole ne- next round that involved teaching. And so I'm curious to kind of hear your advice for people because I think people are always looking to successful people and people who have achieved a lot to hear their wisdom and and their advice. Well, I mean, I, I don't have anything special. I always say, I never say anything original. I don't have anything that somebody hadn't probably already said. Okay. But I will say this. One thing I've learned is I can't be anybody else. Right. I just can't. No matter how hard I try, I couldn't be anybody else. I tried it. I'm sure for four or five months I tried to be like Martha or like Janet or like mm-hmm. Tamika or whoever. I yeah. tried, but it didn't just do you because nobody, what's going to make you what makes you special is you there's nobody like you even if you have a twin your twin is not like you yeah right so um that's the thing and and 
and then one goes, be authentic, be authentic. What's authentic? Authentic is already you. You don't even have to try. Yeah. You're already authentic because it's different than anybody else. And 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 that tell tell the truth. Okay. I hate to say it, but all you have is your word. Yes. Be true. Now I'm not saying you gotta go and just hurt people's feelings. Then <laughs> 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 just go out there and hurt people's feelings. Now don't but tell just, that kind of truth. Be, no, be yeah. kind but just with your be truth. Be true. Like yeah. as as a performer, the audience doesn't believe you unless you tell them the truth. Now, have I really been say like Cinderella or or whoever? No, but I can put myself in that place and and be truthful with that feeling, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the one thing you, I think that's best as a performer, especially, is to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a dream, whatever it is that you really want to be, and a dream doesn't have to be like this great big no. So they can't, they, it's not necessary that you have to say, I want to be the next Lauren Anderson. No, you want to be the next you, number one. Right. You, another, I mean, right. But if you want to do something that I've done or something mm-hmm. that someone has done, do all the research you can, take mm-hmm. as many classes as you can, be prepared, read up, know the history. Say that one more time, because I don't think we, we focus know on that enough. The history. Don't try to erase the history. Know mm-hmm. the history, mm-hmm. so that if it's bad history, don't get repeated. Yeah, but know the history. Know where it comes from. You know, I have an idea because evolution's gonna happen. Right. Evolution's gonna happen. There's some things you can't stop. Right. I always say it's gonna be God's way or God's way. Right. It's. Right. I mean. So, um, all that said. That's all I got to say. <laughs> no, and I think those are extremely uh, great pearls of wisdom. And especially, I think, with the history piece, because I just think so much of that is people just start from their now. thoughts or their wants of now and where they want to go. But again, you got to know where you came from, where it came from, so you can understand how you fit and and your dream fits and all those things can fit into the context of that experience because it's all, everything is in context. And I think sometimes we miss that and you see that easily play out when you look at things like, you know, uh, you know, the context of, of, you know, the history of the black community. And if you don't know that history, then you have no idea why somebody might have the response that they have. Right. That's right. Um, and it's applicable in so many realms. Yeah. Right there. So, and the, and the cool thing is this, is um, once you know the history and once you do the research, they can go where, wherever you feel needs to go because um, evolution and, and innovation and all that came from somewhere. It did come from somewhere and it did come from now because you're going forward from now, but it's good to know what was happening back here yeah. so you can push that along. Um, and you know the lens through which some other some people might be seeing you right you don't you you because there's a history associated with it that's absolutely true that's absolutely true so it's so funny like my son hears some music and you know every okay and I'm not saying they're not making good music now (laughs) what I'm saying is that's another podcast now look you know how much 
old music that uses it. Yes, that's all I I'm do. Saying. Great. And that's fine because music has evolved. That's right. Music absolutely has evolved. And um, he said, oh, mama, you know, when so-and-so did that, I said, baby, step you up. <laughs> he did that long time ago. Sweetheart, so-and-so sang that long time ago. Yes, um, that's know. the third sample. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, no, this is not new. Not new. Well, this was a lot of fun, Lauren, and I just thank you again. I want to keep thanking you for the work that you have done, continue to do, and will do, because I know that you will always continue to reinvent opportunities in ways in which you can impact people and then bring them along, which I love about you in terms of just your focus on that. You were focused on that when you were dancing and, you know, professionally and you were focused on that, you know, you're focused on that today. And I just really applaud you for that. And that's some of the work that may not necessarily always make the headlines, but it's such important work because you are preparing a whole new generation of people to become themselves I won't say the next Lauren Anderson I'm going to say become themselves in all of the glory that they and, and put and potential that they possess and so I uh, really appreciate that and for those that are curious about you and what you're doing and what you're up to is there any place you would advise them to go to find out more information about you and your whereabouts well, um, I do have a website. All right. <laughs> I forget about that sometimes. <laughs> this is commercial time, so I'll let everybody know. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it's, I'm going to tell you, hold on. I think it's LaurenAndersonOfficial.com. Okay. So y'all I heard that. that's what it is. LaurenAndersonOfficial. You can ask your, ask your son. <laughs> <laughs> he probably, yeah, just say, what is it now? <laughs> yeah. It's LaurenAndersonOfficial.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. And you've done such a tremendous job. And I really enjoy talking to you on our podcast. And for those of you who are interested on the podcast, make sure you tune in next time. Thanks so much. Thank you. I would like to extend a special thank you to the Texas Signal for its support of our podcast.